the discussion in, let's say, East Asian literature tends to be fairly neutral in terms of the nature and the content of, of what we call qi. But in fact, it's, it's energy endowed with the sense of consciousness, right? So where your energy flows, your consciousness flows. They're one and the same. And that in the absolute understanding of this model, the structure of the channels is energy. The content of the channels is energy and consciousness. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Righteousness feels like progress. It gives a kind of traction to the enterprise of making the world a better place. Righteousness has a taste of being on the right side of history. It has a kind of satisfaction that goes with the feelings of accomplishment. There's something oddly invigorating about having a fight, of bringing everything you have to a moment of conflict and coming away with a thumping sense of pride and joy. I've been thinking about gratitude lately, mostly because it's been in such short supply. I'm off my practice of noticing how my refrigerator is full of nourishing food, and I've got people I love to share in the meals that that food provides, and for that matter, that I'm able to provide that food, and that I've got a practice of medicine that gives me a sense of contribution to the world, and at the same time, enlivens my mind with the puzzling health issues that my patients bring me. Perhaps most of all, I'm grateful that I get to be useful in this world. Being useful in the world, that gives me an unending sense of satisfaction. That at least within the confines of the walls of my clinic, there is a place where I can lay aside the judgment I usually have of other people. For the time together in clinic, our skin colors are irrelevant. The fancy or tattered shoes my patients wear, their politics or religion, sexual orientation, relationship with money or spouse, whether they like dogs or cats, salty or sweet, the color of their tongue or the amount of flesh on their bones within the confines of the sacred space of clinic, none of it matters. And all of it matters. But instead of using the usual differences for a fight, we invite it all in to heal. Or do we? Can we? Sometimes I hear my patients talk a certain way and bile rises in my throat, or there's a catch in my breath as I remind myself that I'm not here to judge my patients. I'm here to help them. But sometimes I get in the way because I have ideas about what makes the world a better place, and they represent something to me that I've got opinions about. It makes it harder to stay present with how I can be of help to the person in front of me. Lately, I've noticed something about speech and words. Sometimes I hear my patients use a word or a phrase and the label hate speech goes through my mind, but they're not using it in a hateful way. That's just how they talk. I don't hear vitriol or disgust in their voice. There's no emotional charge. It's simply how this person with their history and their story happens to speak. I'm forgiving of the people in my clinic. We all need a place where we can simply be who we are. So often, it's not the words themselves that are hateful. It's the intention and the velocity behind them. If the intention is to demean, we're used as a dividing line for us or them, then yeah, likely we're veering into hate speech. How do I know? Because I do it too. 
So something like the term cis can be a description or it can be hurled as an epithet. Privilege can be a recognition that the world is unevenly distributed, that accidents of birth, levels of intelligence, the capacity to appropriately use both emotion and reason, and whether you're not happen to hit the genetic lottery in terms of attractiveness, all tend to give people a natural leg up in the world. Or it can be used as a blunt weapon to express anger that the gifts of heaven and the limits of earth don't conform to an ideal that we'd like to see. The world is unevenly distributed. Our medicine points this out to us. So we can, with some skillful means, bring balance without doing harm. Yang Ming lacks moisture. Tai Yin lacks dryness. Xiaoyin has an abundance of heat, while Taiyang has an exuberance of cold. We don't blame nature. We work with it on its own terms, which brings me back to gratitude, as it seems to be the only antidote that I found for my anger and hatred. Because it's so easy to see the differences and use it to stoke my own frustration with life not being as I want. Gratitude helps me stay present with the unfolding moment with all its broken promises and unseen networks of support. But mostly, gratitude, it helps me to dial down the frustration and hatred. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature 
by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of Spring Yang Chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Self and other, us and them, it's a dynamic we see in the outer world all the time. And within the confines of our bodies, there sometimes rages an internal war when physiology turns against itself. The modern term for this is autoimmune disease, but that name does nothing in terms of telling us how to treat these kinds of conditions in our patients. In this conversation with Brian McMahon, we pick up on some of the themes of our earlier conversation back in episode 193 and take a look at how the four levels of Wei Qi Ying Xue help us to understand not only the dynamic and location of where disharmony exists, but also gives us some perspective on treating these complex diseases that have their contradicting patterns and expressions. You might find yourself hitting pause or rewind on this conversation as your mental framework for understanding the four levels gets an update. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brian and find it as helpful and eye-opening as I did. Brian McMahon, welcome back to Geological. Hi, Michael, and, and thank you for the invitation to be back. Last time we got together, we had kind of a wide-ranging conversation about medicine, which is always fun to have. But one of the things that I wanted to get into that we just didn't have time was autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's in particular, and autoimmune sort of in general. This is an issue that in our profession, I often hear people say things like, oh, autoimmune. Well, let's go look at some functional medicine. And that always breaks my heart a little bit because I think our medicine has a lot to offer. And I know that you've got some experience and you've been thinking about this yourself. You've written some interesting things on your blog. And so I would like to delve into your perspectives on looking at and treating and, and how other people can learn to think about and treat autoimmune disease. Hashimoto's in particular. Absolutely. Uh, I'd be more than happy to 
share experience and, and some of uh, the views that Chinese medicine can offer. Because I think that once we have a clear handle perceptually on the picture of what we're facing, then of course, the means by which we can address it become much more clear and systematic. I, I once heard somebody say, if you know what you're doing, you can do what you want. And so, yes, having that clearer frame, and I think I think that's often a place I know I, in my experience over the years, have had trouble is I'm not always sure what I'm looking at. Could be this, could be that. And over the years, I've learned to come down on one side so I can test it and see what's what. So yeah, talk to us about getting a clear picture of autoimmune through our lenses of Chinese medicine. Sure. And the issue that you just brought up, I think, speaks very largely to uh, perhaps an underlying reason for less than ideal clinical outcomes from the perspective of the practitioner. So I often uh, remind my students that it's so important to get clear on how it is you're going to treat and apply your tools to a particular situation with a very clear strategy and diagnosis as your working hypothesis. Because if you have the working diagnosis clear in your mind and your treatment strategy is well integrated with that diagnosis, as you say, if you apply it to the patient, whatever the outcome, for better or worse, you're going to have learned something in the process. And so you can then adjust accordingly. But thinking back to when I first started working with patients, I would go over every possible treatment strategy for the particular problems that a patient was having, thinking back on all of the different things that I had learned in addressing a particular problem, looking through texts and how other much well-versed practitioners would address a problem. So I would have like eight to 12 possibilities swimming around in my head and would often be combining parts and parcel of those into a mishmash that would then produce some type of a result that was difficult to extrapolate from in terms of, well, what was effective and what was not. And so I think this is part of the problem when we're looking at a picture like autoimmune disease, because we're often seeing somewhat conflicting information manifest in the patient and our diagnosis then easily becomes muddled. And instead of having a clear working strategy that we apply and learn from, we try and address the pieces or the uh, complexity on the surface. And then of course we, we don't have the type of feedback that allows us to refine our treatment strategy as we move forward. So as with all things in Chinese medicine that we touched upon last time, it's so important as the Neijing tells us to bring all of these myriad complexities back to the simplicity of yin and yang of excess and deficiency. And if we can get a complex picture of autoimmune disease back to these basic elements. And of course, the reason why autoimmune diseases are often so difficult to clearly wrap our heads around is because they feature 
mixed elements of excess and deficiency, right? And they often can be quite dramatic in the manner in which they conflict one another. So as we move down the levels of energetic compromise, meaning the correlative levels of pathology are developing more and more complex, the smooth integration of yin and yang is the primary, the, the crux of what is now separating and going to be manifesting at odds with one another. And so when we get to like Shaoin level disease or what we would call lower burner pathology, then we're of course going to see uh, elements of yin and yang that seem very much out of balance with one another and are in fact approaching a place where they may be operating almost independently of one another. And so autoimmune disease, of course, arises for reasons of primary excess or primary deficiency, but in and of its nature is a representation, a manifestation of the body-mind continuum acting in conflict with itself. And so it's going to manifest through our, our diagnostic lens as being uh, very much contradictory or, or in conflict uh, with you know the kind of basic, straightforward type of diagnosis that we may be used to. So as I'm hearing you describe this, I'm coming up with an image of the ocean with a storm. And up on the surface, it is, it's tossed and turned, and even a big boat could get capsized in the, in the wave action, in the turbidity. But you don't have to go that far below the surface, and things are pretty still. And so, as I hear you talking about yin and yang, and that there's like a core or a fundamental something that started to make them separate and come apart. That to me sounds like that water below the storm. If you can get to that level and work there, I'm not saying you can ignore what's happening in a very turbid way up on the surface, but unless you know what, what it is underneath, you're never going to get that turbid surface to settle down. Very much so. Uh, and so that type of, uh, tumultuous activity on the surface in the case of autoimmune disease, we would classify as some type of wind and or heat, basically. So whenever we're looking at functions of the body going into hyperfunctional levels, we are going to classify this as a yang type of activity, correct? Or a yang classification of pathology primarily in the wind, heat, fire category. So what's happening is that what separates, let's say, just your standard run-of-the-mill type of hypothyroidism from something like Hashimoto's is this additional action of the body that is systemic, but also in our vision of diagnosis is also somewhat localized, meaning there is this microsystem of some type of a tempest that's active in the tyin level of the body or within the blood level of the body uh, in the warm disease way of viewing the body we have the 
Wei Qi Ying Xue, right? The defensive. Mm -hmm. Four levels. The four levels, the defensive, the Qi, the nutritive, and the blood. Mm -hmm. And so with autoimmune disease, often we see this wind heat active within the nutritive levels. And then as it progresses, moving into the blood level. So when it's still within the Qi, or the yang levels of the body, it really will not produce diagnosable autoimmune conditions. It will be uh, various symptoms of discomfort that arise when a patient is under stress and tend to go away on their own when those stressful periods pass, right? So this would take us to that threshold of the Shaoyang where you know there's alternating symptoms that come and go meaning like the yang qi is still strong enough to recover and to overcome the obstacles uh, to its function in a way that is still deeply identified with the operations of jing qi so autoimmune disease brings up this this fundamental question of why is it now that we have energetic functional operations in the body that are not operating within the blueprint or according to the plans for the smooth expression of life's energies according to our jing essence so this is a deeper question that we often have to face with patients and this will take us further into examining those layers beneath the surface of the ocean as you put it as to what is really there that's uh causing this tempest to arise so powerfully above the surface of the water so it sounds like there are some i'm going to Call, just call them primary dysfunctions. And again, if I'm if I'm understanding this right, when it's out more at the way or the chi level, it's not as noticeable. Body's strong enough. On occasion, it shows up as like some weird passing thing. I'm wondering in my own mind if that might be like, sometimes people come in and they're like a little bit uncomfortable and they just say, oh, I've got allergies. And I ask them, some more specific questions and I get nothing specific back. Well, you know, I, I think it's just the tree pollen, but it's like wintertime, God damn it. And they're complaining about the tree pollen, right? I, I, I scratch my head on that. It's like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder how they make sense of that. I wonder what's really going on because there's no tree pollen out there. Yeah, but, exactly. But I hear things like that. And I wonder if that might be like the first, you know, sort of rustlings of wind you know, like before a storm, all of a sudden you hear the leaves shaking a little bit in the trees. Very much so, yeah. And I think that what we're getting at is a Chinese medical systematic understanding of the processes of inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that the body's producing these various types of inflammation at varying degrees, varying depths, varying levels of systemic action. And we've been so conditioned to always look for the external stimulus that's causing that inflammatory response. And as you put it, when it's mild allergy problems, uh, perhaps the you know coming and going of a small patch of some type of dermatitis or other skin problem. Person in just the other day with this. Yeah. And you know, you dig a little deeper and everything else seems to be in order. We're we're not necessarily thinking that it's a systemic type of autoimmune dysregulation problem. And so one way that's very easy for us to help us diagnostically is if the condition is limited to a particular season or time of year, let's say, then it's most likely not so deep within the yin phases of the system. If it's absent more than it's present, 
and it's related to specific triggers, for example, then that degree of dysfunction within our own internal environment is much less than when we have ongoing systemic dysregulation of our immune system function. And so the, the allergy example is perfect in that people often start out where it's just a couple of weeks, perhaps in the spring or autumn, or maybe one or the other. And then it becomes like, oh, now it's going to like six weeks to two or three months in this transitionary period. And then it becomes, well, now I've got this chronic congestion and post-nasal drip and so forth that's happening almost all year round here in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, you know, we joke and say that Portland is where people move to develop allergy problems, essentially, because there's so many of us here who never had problems with uh, seasonal allergies until we moved to the Pacific Northwest. And um, myself among those individuals, about two or three years ago in the summertime, I was having, you know, pretty severe head drainage for at least a month or two in midsummer. And everyone say, well, what do you think is out in the air that's causing it? And at that point, it's already like June, July. So most of the external stimuli that you would expect to trigger this problem have arisen. But what I found is that it's largely, it's a, it's a detoxifying process that happens when the yang qi reaches its highest point near the summer solstice. And so I started to work in the rest of the year and was able to cor correct it to like an 80 to 90% level this past year. But again, it was, a, it was limited to a particular time at, at that point in its development. So we know that these small signs of inflammation though, are generally indicating that there are processes underway and all the way from these minor forms of inflammation to cancer at the very end of the spectrum, it is a continuum. And I've seen in cancer research and literature that indicates these preliminary signs, the higher the degree of preliminary signs of inflammation as it moves inward. So let's say then you have chronic GI inflammation or you have chronic uh, prostatetic inflammation and so forth. You're now showing increased risk for moving down this spectrum towards something like autoimmune disease or, ca or cancer. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. This, well, first of all, it's funny because in St. Louis, there's a similar saying, I never had allergies until I moved to St. Louis. And there is a lot of pollen here. But that being said, the way 
that you're phrasing this, the way that you're using our Chinese medicine thinking. If we're looking in this case at those four levels and recognizing that this thing we call allergy, oh, it's just an allergy and we can treat the allergies and I take Zyrtec and blah, blah, blah. Well, as a Chinese medicine practitioner, especially if someone has not had allergies previously, that's our wake-up call. That's like, oh, cool. I can maybe help you avoid IBS. I can maybe help you avoid cancer. I can maybe help you avoid all kinds of Hashimoto's, all kinds of things. So given that, wow, that makes our work even more profound and in some ways frightening to recognize the responsibility. You know, it's like when you can see things and, and realize, oh, I'm not just helping you get through a season. I'm going to help you get through the next 30 years of life, perhaps. For me, that changes my perspective on what I'm doing. So help me understand how to work with the inside now. Just to briefly comment on those points, you know, the Neijing tells us that Chinese medicine, Zhong Yi Zhi Wei Bing, or it's a common adage in China, right? That Chinese medicine treats diseases before they manifest. And we often have this idea that we can just see clearly or magically that someone is going to develop some life-threatening condition 30 years down the road, and we're just going to like turn that switch off. But that's really not practical. And what you're describing is actually a very important part of the process. And one of the reasons I think that autoimmune disease is becoming more and more widespread, along with some other issues that I'm sure we'll get into. But what happens from a Chinese medical perspective is that when you have the expression of inflammation at the yang levels or at the qi level of the body, this is the body's attempt at maintenance and the shedding or outer expression. It's using the outer avenues for ridding itself of whatever forms of accumulation, if you prefer, or disease-causing agents held within the interior for some period. Now, we don't recognize these problems anymore as this fundamental physiological process, the body operating according to its own wisdom, often within the cyclical movement of the seasons of nature. And so we try to squelch them with allergy medications. And when it gets bad enough, we start limiting the body's inflammatory processes with steroidal forms of intervention. In Chinese medical view, what this is actually doing is it's pushing it's applying a limitation like a lid to the expression of the body's yang qi. And so it's going to compress these processes deeper into the interior and the blood level. And so this is one uh, way in which modern forms of medical intervention actually set us up for perhaps longer term, more difficult conditions down the road. And so once that energy is limited to the interior circulation only of the body, right? We have to understand the energy system as essentially a, a field of energetic expression with like X, Y axes coordinates in time and space that give us an individual kind of identity. But really we're a fluid expression of this energetic field. Well, if we're meant, if our energetic expression, here, hang on just for a second, we're a fluid expression of this energetic field. You sound like an osteopath. Uh, well, you see the overlap starting to come out. And many of my colleagues in Europe work very closely with osteopathic medicine or have in fact themselves also studied it because of these correlations. But you know, one of my mentors puts it very beautifully. He says, our, our, 
our bodies should be like a motel six, meaning that guests are constantly coming and going. The problem is when you get people who take up residence in your motel, right? That is this process moving into the yin, moving into the interior. So this is exactly the view that's expressed in the Neijing. The elements of, of pathology are often referred to as ke, meaning a guest. And so when we, when we push these guests into a position where they're putting roots down within our body, then it becomes a blood level problem. It becomes uh, a pathological process that's taken root within the interior, meaning it's no longer able to expand and contract fluidly through this entire range of function. Now we're limited to a compressed or limited amount of space. Now, if that compression involves a lot of activity that was pushed in from the yang levels, then we get an excess condition. We get a yin excess condition, meaning there's too much activity. There's too rich a concentration of energy within the interior space of the body. So the way we treat it is very simple. We open and we vent that energy through the various directions that we have available to us. So there's a time and a place to diaphoresis that stuff out. Well, not only diaphoretically, we can do it by moving the blood, we can do it by opening the urination, we can do it by opening the bowels. Basically, our strategy is to open and circulate. And so all of, all of these pathways represent movement toward the exterior. That makes sense. And not only have you compressed things in from the outside, but if you've got some could chief, you've got some guest chief, you've got some squatters in your hotel six, not only are you not having a free flow of energy, but you've got this stagnation that's taken up space, you know, and it's probably throwing its trash out in the hallway. Exactly. So this picture that you were just describing of having residents taking up long-term stays within the blood level and what that may look like clinically is that we're going to see a slightly more excessive leaning presentation of autoimmune disease, meaning that the patient may be telling us a number of signs and symptoms of seeming deficiency or underlying deficiency. We may also observe clearly in their complexion, perhaps in the, the shape and quality of their tongue, signs of deficiency, but we may find in their pulses strong qualities, slippery qualities deep stagnant qualities that are showing us that there is some type of obstruction that's operating at the yin level, at the blood level. And so when there is this deep level of obstruction, let's go back to that metaphor just beneath the surface of the ocean. What that means is the yang qi can no longer enter smoothly and circulate through the blood level. And so it goes into counterflow. It goes into this rebound effect of creating excessive forms of wind and heat and activity that then manifest as measurable aspects of hyperactivity in the body, hyperfunctionality. And what then happens is this additional level or component of the confusion in that functionality that no longer recognizes friend from foe in terms of our body's own tissues and the immune functions that are responsible for protecting those tissues. So you were just talking about this circulation of yang qi. And when I think about healthy circulation of yang qi, it can go all the way out to the way, it can come all the way down into the shui. 
right? You, it, it, can, it can go everywhere and it needs to go everywhere. It needs to bring that invigorating aspect of yang to all the levels. Now, we've got a situation here where it was up on the surface, but okay, now it's been dampened down. It can't go out on the surface now. And it also can't quite get into the blood. And so now you've got it, it's like constrained in this one area and it's bouncing around in the ing level mm -hmm. and it can't express all the way out into the way where it might be able to resolve something. It can't also, it also can't go all the way into the blood. So once the smooth circulation in that circular cyclical fashion is interrupted in several points, you begin to move toward this, again, contradictory presentation of it's hyperactive within the exterior at some point, some level, some place, but it's also not doing the work that it's supposed to be doing appropriately within the deep interior. Now, clinically, patients will present somewhere again on this seeming spectrum of excess or deficiency. And I would encourage all of us to remember that it is in fact a spectrum, meaning that it's very rare that we see a pure case of deficiency or a pure case of excess. When we do, these are, these are the situations where we can kind of give a wink and a nod and be confident that we should expect to see very good results very quickly. And so autoimmune disease by nature is always this mix of the two. And so what I was just kind of describing and walking through means we're going to see more signs of excess. So endometriosis would be a great example of such, where you're going to see clear signs of this excess activity within the blood and causing real havoc with the physiological functions and the experience of the patient. There's also you know, a, a more deficient leaning side of the spectrum where patients just exhaust the deep levels of their resources, the interior resources of the body. And as they go deeper into these states of deficiency, whether it be the patterning or the conditioning or the actual demands of our outer life, it continues to put extreme pressure on our activity levels. And so people just push through as they go. And so then what happens is the primary issue is not the obstruction beneath the surface of the water at first. It's more the level of activity and the swirling of this wind and everything that's happening in the yang levels. And so what happens here is we see a fundamental disconnect between the state of the body and the patient's relationship to it via the mind. So imagine every day of your life for let's say a decade or more, your body has been in a, a hypothyroidic state, meaning in Chinese medical view, when there's deficiency, the natural movement is to tonify and the body should gather its resources in order to restore it. But let's say that you're finishing a graduate degree, working full time and starting a family as you're in this state of, of general hypothyroidism, meaning your body's functional capacity is depressed, but your mind is saying, we need to continue at a very high level of output. We need to maintain this level. And you're pushing very strongly. At a certain point, this disintegration, the signal that our mind is sending to our body and the signals, the clear signals that our body are trying to send to our mind to say, we need rest. We need to rejuvenate. We need to rebuild. That disintegration causes clear problems over time 
and it may not be certainly tomorrow. I think we all know that we have a certain level to which we can maintain this type of a, of a push. But when it becomes indefinite, uh, then the body-mind integration is very likely to produce a schism. And over time, that energy, that signal of the mind that's constantly pushing and, and developing uh, stronger and stronger wind, stronger and stronger counterflow, depleting the resources and the anchor of the essence and the interior energy more and more, then of course you have now complete separation or moving towards a large degree of separation between these yin and yang elements of our being as well. So this second one that you just described, the interior is deficient and the mind says, no, full speed ahead. No, dude, full speed ahead. It's like, yeah, you're tired. Like, so what? Buck up. Full speed ahead. This is, this. I mean, of course, this is the opposite of what you had previously described. You have the outside being constrained, something coming in. This is the inside being deficient, yet the mind is stirred. Would we see different psycho-emotive expressions with each of these different presentations? So the way in which patients may present in a psycho-emotional sense can differ. We can say the first type we described would be more of a yin to yang type of process, meaning like the obstruction is developing within the interior, leading to this hyperactivity and dysfunction within the exterior. The second type we're seeing is more of a classic taxation pattern where the patient is depleting the interior until hyperactivity arises in the exterior. But what happens over time, as we know, is that continued hyperactivity in the exterior then is going to produce problems of stagnation, accumulation, and toxicity within the interior. Of course, because the yang qi cannot continue to do its house cleaning appropriately. So the what I've found is that in the first general category of things, many of the psycho-emotional factors uh, leading up to this kind of eventual development or emergence of um, autoimmune disease tend to fall very much on the yin spectrum or the, let's say, the trauma spectrum of psycho-emotional experience. So, Oftentimes, patients who have a very troubled past, who have dealt with whether it be physical or emotional abuse or other forms of, of trauma uh, as young individuals or perhaps even later on in life, that is a direct insult and form of excess that accumulates within the yin. So that certainly would lend itself more towards that kind of a picture of this obstruction of the yin being the primary pathomechanism that event eventually develops into various directions. Um, what we see more in the taxation type patterns is people, you know, move from this very uh, active state and then eventually become or tend to present with that very tired and wired kind of presentation where then they've been pushing for so long or so accustomed to these states of of deficiency uh, with high levels of activity that the, the body becomes obstructed and then they cannot sleep well. So you have this kinds of various at states of agitation within the yang level uh, that people can often manifest a little bit more 
outwardly mobile or active. But again, these are just generalizations. Like because even the yin stagnation and accumulation process is eventually going to create or can create this very strong outward push of yang energy. So you may see people come with very you know, agitated states that we would call more yang, more windy, more hot, regardless of what the underlying pathomechanism is and vice versa, you know. But the idea is that we want people eventually to become congruent with their actual state of energy, meaning that the theme of the initial stages of autoimmune treatment mean calming, reeling in the wind, right? Calming the fire and heat, calming the excess activity. And so to whatever degree is possible, given the practical circumstances of a person's life, it's important for them to make a commitment to engage with their energy and awareness of how they're actually feeling. And so this is something that is, um, I think, integral to, to bringing, you know, the mind body back into some type of initial state of connection is constantly checking in with what is my actual state, both in terms of our physical energy and vitality, but also in terms of our psycho-emotional state and the moods that we're passing through, or maybe in an, a background level as a, as a default state, as a default way of being that we've become so accustomed to that we just don't see. So a couple things come to mind. One is we were talking in the very beginning about how if you can have a clear picture of what's going on for somebody, it's easier to treat. If you can somehow get a clear picture that, oh, this, this started as an external thing and it's come in and constrained the ying chi and, and the yang can't circulate. And now we've got these weird patterns of wind that we're seeing. It's come from the outside in. Oh, I, yeah, you know, this, this makes pick, this makes sense with this person. They had this issue as a kid and then they went and did this kind of a job and they're depleted on the inside. And, but they've got this thing where they have to like, go, 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 go. Maybe that's what brings them to the place that they're at now. Getting a good kind of history can be useful that way. And then the, then the second piece is, you know, anytime we're talking medicine, I, I, I run it through my own filters of like what makes sense. And sometimes it, it, it'll ping on things that are actually going on for me. And so as you were talking about this taxation, I got to thinking about how, yeah, I've had some like real frustration that comes up like out of nowhere, you know, for inappropriate reasons, for small little things. I mean, it's like, you know, like, like there's an ember and some wind blew on it. Now there's a flame. And, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I think I need to take a look for myself at rejuvenating some depletion because I'm looking at some excess things going on in my life right now, thinking, oh, yeah, I, I can see exactly where that's coming from now. That's not just me and being kind of an agitated liver cheek kind of dude. I mean, that's there, but it's like, oh, the depletion. Without that anchoring, all this stuff is easily flying around. My suspicion is, as we get to know our patients and kind of who they are and how they are, we might be able to get these kinds of insights to answer the, these kinds of questions about where did it come from. But until we have that, how would you proceed? Mm. Well, I think, you know, the first place to start is uh, most people come to a Chinese medical encounter expecting a thorough intake. 
And so we can engage at whatever level we feel patients are comfortable with in that intake. Uh, getting a very thorough history is very helpful, as you say. And just one more point I'd like like to add to this discussion is that we either we we often see either the involvement of some type of what would typically be considered infectious disease or viral oriented disease in the development of uh, autoimmune conditions playing a prominent role, but. In my experience, it seems relatively rare that that involvement of the emergence or diagnosis of some type of a chronic viral state is not paired with any of the other things that we just discussed. Meaning that there's not underlying problems within the yin blood, whether they be physical or psychoemotional, or relatively high states of depletion at that time. Meaning that whatever this infectious agent or disease-causing agent that has now taken hold in the system and is diagnosable as, as such, was that the table was set for it to become chronic already. So according to the Neijing, right, if deficiency is not present, then we cannot have this infiltration by various guests. And so the thorough process of intake and history helps me to recreate what was going on, what were those conditions? And then you can better understand the context for which you're seeing the pulses manifest and the patient manifest as they are now in this particular moment. So people will come in with this story uh, that's going to probably very prominently feature or place emphasis on things like, well, then I was diagnosed with some type of you know, let's say chronic viral problem. Now it could Lyme is Epstein-Barr. A uh, recent patient I'm working with who has endometriosis uh, had an outbreak, a severe outbreak of shingles. But it's important that we as holistic medical practitioners stop for a moment. And what I like to say is, well, tell me about what the conditions were like in your life at that time. What was going on in your life when this started? Tell me about your work. Tell me about your relationships. Tell me about people in your life who may have passed away. What were the stressful elements of your life that may have been there in the background or very much in the foreground? And I found that with few exceptions, there's, there's often elements uh, there that either preceded or surrounded uh, the development and emergence of, of these um, infectious conditions that are very much contributing to that. And so, you know, I think it's important to to take that into account because once these things are in the blood level, they're going to create they're going to create further complications in terms of it's like uh, it, it's like programs on your computer that are operating in the background, constantly depleting battery, constantly eating away at the CPU availability, and so this is another aspect that often leads to autoimmune because the body is placed in a stressful situation. And then with these various agents continuing to tax it from the inside, you end up then with movement towards some type of uh, excess activity that's chronically going on. And so it, it gets quite complicated quite quickly. But again, it's just coming back to excess deficiency and yin and yang. And this thing with viral infection, one of the things that we're hearing so much about at this moment in time in our experience of co-evolving with uh, the coronavirus 
is the, I think they, the term is the long haulers, the people who are having some kind of an issue post a viral episode. Well, this is nothing new. We know, even conventional medicine knows that post-viral syndromes, there's a number of them out there. You already named a few. There's Lyme, there's Epstein-Barr. Chronic fatigue is often correlated with this. And it's not uncommon. It's not super common, but it's common enough that somebody post-viral will have something. There's a lot of hue and cry right now about, oh my God, the coronavirus is going to be with, with you for the rest of your life. Is it that different than any other air quotes here, post-viral. And again, using our perspective and our lens of Chinese medicine, wow, here's a place where we can be really, really helpful. Because anyone who has had COVID, given the current circumstances of our world, is by definition under a huge amount more stress than they would with a common flu. In fact, how dare you say I had the flu if someone's had COVID? I mean, it's it's very, very emotionally charged. Absolutely. And I, I very much agree with you on all those points that the, the long hauler effect of COVID, it seems to be because it's somewhat perhaps more pernicious in its nature in that it, it, attack, it can attack individuals rather strongly and create some extremely acute or life-threatening conditions, unlike some of these other, well... I guess they all can reach that place. Um, but it, in terms of the long-term prospects for helping people, I think Chinese medicine is absolutely uh, a great tool and lens for, for helping people rehabilitate through these long-term um, symptoms and, and tangentially arising things that are coming around this central hub of COVID infection. I would love to see further statistics and and the studies or information on what people's, again, what people's general health picture is like at the time of this COVID infection, how they handled it initially, how they were treated, and then, yeah, how that develops into some form of sequela or not. And I think that it is showing us in many ways, just as a matter of fact, that's been emphasized from the beginning, which is you're much more susceptible from, to complications from COVID infection if you have these underlying comorbidities of things like obesity or um, high blood pressure, other type of systemic problems. Certainly if you have autoimmune issues already, I'm sure it would make you much more susceptible to severe infection and complication. And so this is the, the Chinese medical tenant of just underlying deficiency leading to opportunistic infection in a more severe level playing out in, in real time in our lives in a very, very realistic way. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler 
to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. So we've got plenty of good work to do as the years unfold, no doubt about that. Our medicine is going to be very helpful for this, and we're fortunate. And, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because I feel like I'm starting to have, I'm going to say, a slightly broader and slightly deeper view of what I'm looking at when someone's in front of me in terms of, is this a more yin presentation or more yang presentation? Of course, they will begin to look like each other just because it's wildly disturbed. In terms of working through a process of treatment, because this isn't the kind of thing that's going to respond in a couple of weeks and okay, there you go. My sense is there's kind of a beginning, middle, and an, I don't know if it's an end or just you know a, a slow ongoing treatment. Could you Walk us through how to think about that. Sure. Uh, so a broad outline would be, uh, again, going back to when in a general state of deficiency, we can treat the root. When there's problems and pronounced problems on the surface and the branch, then we need to address those appropriately. So, of course, underlying so many of these conditions is a deep state of deficiency and energy resource drain, right? Just real um, lack of available power. And the problem is, is that with patients who are fairly advanced in very in autoimmune conditions, if let's say from an herbal strategy perspective, you just blast them with kind of pungent, warm, mobile herbs or highly tonifying herbs, it, it triggers the expression of that wind and heat in the branch or at the surface, right? So you need to gauge accordingly to what degree you need to, you need to take into account this, these problems of wind and heat. So this is a problem where theoretically the strategy is correct, but practically it's going to cause the patient a, a very high degree of difficulty and discomfort. So I'll give you an example. I have a patient who's presenting with a very strong let's say yang qi deficient constitution with accumulation of, of, of yin fluids. So water uh, retention, fairly overweight, um, problems of stagnation. So she's been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. She's had problems with severe lumbago and sciatica that comes and goes. And so clearly we have any Chinese medical practitioner worth you know, their salt would take one look at her and say, well, this is clearly a problem of deep yang qi deficiency. But in working and addressing 
her unique expression of this wind heat problem is actually we had a good measurement and that was the palms of her hands. So anytime a formula went a little bit too warm, too mobile, too tonifying, she would have this recurring rash that would emerge like a long pericardium channel on the palms of her hands. And she'd had like many years of problems of exposure, uh, problems with dermatitis that would come up whenever she wore wool or other types of, of specific fabrics, right? In these areas on her forearms and into her palms. So again, the yin level, the nutritive level of energy is associated with the jian and the pericardium in particular, right? You'd say the blood level is more liver kidney, but the yin level is more pericardium. And so it was always this push and pull in that it was clear to me that if I used too pungent, warm and circulating a formula that's going to help with the water metabolism or tonifying it at the deep level in order to get the resources solidified, then it would push. What would happen is you're basically like a Leviathan. You're kind of pushing up from underneath the surface of the water and it just pushes against the outer layers of all this accumulation of toxicity and dampness and wind. And it's going to come out through the surface of the body. And she's develops like a fairly severe rash that would result in all the skin peeling off of her hands that would then keep her up at night because it's itching way worse at night. And then she might wake up in the morning, it would be mostly gone. And then it would emerge again the following night. So you see that you need to take that into account. And basically what I did was keep my eye on the root, which was, you know, tonifying and building the yang chi of the interior, but doing it in a way that will not provoke what I can now clearly see are these elements of dampness and toxicity in the muscle layer and at the surface. And so there are many strategies that can do this depending on the way in which you approach it. One way is that, you know, in, in certain cases, you're going to have to focus more on the clearing of the wind and heat initially, and then work towards a general state where the underlying deficiency begins to express itself. And then you can address it directly. Whereas in this case, I was able to address it concurrently, meaning I'm using some foods, I'm using some, uh, tonifying herbs in the lower burner that are fairly even in nature, like tu like du like types of yin and qi nourishing herbs that are clear and not as rich as ginseng. So like tai shen, or using herbs in the middle, like lianzi and baiju and fuling, but then using herbs that are going to help control the expression of this heat and toxicity in the surface or in the, and in the yin levels or the blood levels, like dan shen, like jinin hua, and so on and so forth that are not going to damage the vital chi, but are going to just simply control the expression of the body's way of venting this energy out. So that's one example in that it's concurrent, but over time, eventually that problem of the rash expressing completely went away. And so I could just hone in more on the root, but I would say that the rash was really only like a physical representation of the general state of kind of activity and swirling energy in the mind and in the psycho-emotional levels of the body. So this is where the, the application of herbal medicine in particular becomes much, much more subtle in that if you're pumping a lot of pungent, warm, mobile herbs into the deep levels of the body, you're also driving 
the psycho-emotional circulation of the system, meaning that- Which is already in overdrive. It, it very well can be, meaning that you're, you're helping dredge these deep-seated energies up for resolution. But if you overwhelm a patient, they're going to feel unstable. They're going to have problems with sleep. They're going to have problems maybe keeping it together in their daily routine. And that's, that's counterproductive to the treatment process for obvious reasons. Enough, but not too much. It's a very Goldilocks sort of approach. I think one of the most spiritual books I was ever read as a child, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. That lesson is, it, it, it comes home to me every single day in my clinical practice. Just enough, just right. You know, I, I want to ask you this too. Um, I'm not big on that whole idea of a healing crisis. I think it's just tricky to see what, you know, the difference between a healing crisis and mistreatment. That being said, that being said, hearing about this patient and she get the rash on the palms, you could see that as uh, an expression that there's too much in the, in the yang layer there. It's coming out through the skin. But is there also an element where it's coming out through the skin? And so you can vent things out through the skin. It's not comfortable. I'm not sure I'd want to do that as my first approach. But as we're having this conversation, and if I was really grounded in how I think I'm seeing it. And I could see that, oh yeah, you got some extra heat coming out through your palms and it's probably going to be like this for two or three weeks. It'll probably go away. It'd be seen as, as also therapeutic in a sense. Yes. And your skepticism on, I would say, the loose fashion in which this term healing crisis is thrown around is very much warranted in that there are, let's say, various elements of discomfort that arise of the course of a well-executed course of treatment. And they should fit very clearly into our diagnosis and our treatment strategy so that we have an idea of what to expect. So I, I was very cl clear in that if I increase the circulation and the venting capacity of a formula, it's likely going to produce some problem at the surface. And if that problem arises, then it's still mm -hmm. consistent with my vision, which means that we're okay. Now, this is called controlling the degree. So means that we know the direction, we know the direction the body is moving and the direction in which the body wants to resolve these problems, but we need to control the degree appropriately so that it doesn't create too much discomfort or overwhelm the natural processes of sleeping, eating, right? Being active in a way that provides for general recuperation over the long term. So controlling the degree means that we can also employ other secondary avenues to help take the pressure off of the surface, as we're talking about in this example. So we can open the urination a little bit and allow some of the heat to go down through the interior. For patients who suffer from chronic accumulation of toxicity, so again, the, the skin, lung, large intestine, we can also, particularly if they have problems with chronic constipation, we can alleviate toxicity by moving it out through the bowels. And in cases where patients have loose or chronically unformed stool, watery stool, then we know the problem is in the intestines as well, and we can transform it. We can, we can help astringe it. We can help 
resolve the source of that toxicity in the interior at the same time so that we're not putting all of the pressure of the body's resources into one particular area. And this is, I think, a very important concept to be clear on. And if you can tell a patient, you know, you take this formula, you're going to have loose stool for, for a week or two. We want you right on the edge. We want you right on that edge of unformed, frequent stool, and kind of feeling comfortable just for a short time. Okay, and they most likely will go along with it. If you tell them also that there's a likelihood that they're going to develop some type of a skin outbreak at some point in the treatment process, they're very likely to see that as further evidence that you know what you're doing. And as long as it's not interfering too badly with their, their daily life, I've found that they're usually cooperative with the process. And to give you an example that even surprised me, I had a patient from very early in my practice in Shanghai, uh, who I've kept in touch with over the years, who came to me, she had a history of uh, breast cancer on one side, and they found it starting to develop on the other. And so we started this process of work under some stressful conditions. And I remember saying to her at one point, very early on, if you develop a wide skin eruption, then your energy system is really shifting and you're moving into a state of really resolving this, this process. And it's been now close to seven or eight years. And recently she contacted me to say that she's developing these skin problems. After having consistently worked with Chinese medicine, various forms of, of intervention over the years, you know, initially we worked and it was found that the process, which was in very early stages of calcification of the breast tissue, arrested, stopped, and then started to reverse. So she felt very good about that, obviously, but then continued to work. And then all of a sudden, at this one point, her skin started to erupt seven or eight years after the process started. And so that's when we know these toxins are finally really coming out. And the deep interior of the body is connected to the surface. And that is so important uh, to see arising. And I think where you now really have reached an almost transformative place in the, in the evolution of the treatment process, meaning that the, the energy system is no longer functioning in a way that it was in, in you know, developing those, that internal process of, of potential neoplastic growth. That makes a lot of sense. And I find this incredibly helpful in that you know, we've got these ideas in Chinese medicine. We talk about that there's a flow and there needs to be a flow, right? I mean, the thing with pain, tongs a butong, butong's a tong. If there's pain, it's not open. If it's not open, there's pain. But you can take that idea and bring it to the, this exact conversation we're having. We talk all the time about opening the channels. We talk about making sure that there's a free flow of things. Those things all sound really nice. They're lovely little axioms. But to be able and to talk about it and think about it and utilize it in the way that we've been discussing it here for this past short amount of time, to see it in action, to be able to see it and how our treatment might unfold. Oh, if I'm, if I'm tracking this hypothesis correctly, then maybe we'll see this happen over here. And then if it shows up, it's not that we're smart and we pat ourselves on the back. It's, you know, it's more like, Oh yeah, that's how this thing works. Okay, that's helpful. I'm glad to see it showed up. We're probably on the right track. 
Likewise, if something like this shows up and we go, what? I didn't expect that. Okay, now pause. What else in the flow, in this chaotic flow, because we're talking autoimmune, what else do we need to do? Do we need to look at the urine? Do we need to look at the stool? What else is here? So thank you so much for putting some very concrete, discernible, clinically relevant frames on this whole idea of overall air quotes here flow, which I find to be enormously unhelpful. It is uh, very concrete. And I think that this takes us back to you know, another one of the very important tenets of the medicine, which is EWOD should be. So through knowing myself, I'm able to know and understand the other or others, meaning that our own experience of how we're moving through a process of increasing this flow, how we're opening channels within our own experience on the physical level, on an energetic level, on a psycho-emotional level, is so important for helping us understand the implications for working with patients. And so sampling herbs is a great way of getting a little closer to that experience in some ways. And of course, either receiving or doing work on ourselves, receiving treatments. But ultimately, it's also about having a clear perception and understanding that these channels we talk about are not just like the wiring in the walls of our houses. It's not a neutral energy that they're carrying through them. It's the channels of our life reach out and extend beyond our own individual little container of the body. And they are the ways or the pathways through which we relate to our world and receive that return from the world around us. And so that means like, for example, deep level blood stagnation is often never arising in in a vacuum. Although I would say there are some issues where I've seen constitutionally, it seems people have these patterns or issues from a very young age, and there's not always some very difficult story associated with them. That does happen. But opening of these deep pathways, you know, may also be intimately related on the psycho-emotional level to, let's say, for example, if we're talking about the Shaoin or the Jueyin blood level, we're talking about relationships with the people who are closest to us in our lives. The blood level pathways are the pathways of those relationships, right? They are not different. And so when you start going in there and like pushing around and moving stuff around, it's also helpful to try and prepare someone or to, to if they seem open to this dialogue of saying, we're gonna start moving some things that are very deep inside of the matrix of your experience of who you are. And so you might feel things becoming a little unstable or emotions that have been long buried about past experience or aspects of your life that you've wanted to open and move through might come up for this opportunity to open and move through. And that also helps people kind of prepare accordingly so that they can really grab onto these opportunities as they arise. Uh, Because ultimately that's what we're trying to do is to help people further the fullest expression of their life energies, which means opening all those channels out into the world and allowing for that smooth return 
uh, as well in order to build and to hold on to or to accumulate the energies that we need for, for longevity. So generally speaking, we're considered to have five senses. Yeah, some people maybe a sixth sense, right? What I just heard you describe makes me think about the channels as a kind of sense organ, that there are these 12 additional senses that we have because they go out into the world and the way that the world interacts with those, I'm going to call them wavelengths, for lack of a better word. And how can we know it? Because it's also built into us. That's very, very much the case. And, you know, you can take this discussion to quite interesting places that I think are relevant in that, again, the discussion in, let's say, East Asian literature tends to be fairly neutral in terms of the nature and the content of, of what we call qi. But in fact, it's, it's energy endowed with the sense of consciousness, right? So where your energy flows, your consciousness flows. They're one in the same. And that in the absolute understanding of this model, the structure of the channels is energy. The content of the channels is energy. And consciousness. Co and consciousness. Just simply at various relative states of stability and quality, as you were saying, like a wavelength quality. This is what how I describe the understanding of, let's say, these six environmental factors for which the primary channels are named, meaning that they're tuning into a particular frequency of energy that's being produced inside of our bodies and circulating, as well as being absorbed and constantly making its way into the body in order to nourish us. So I think you're very much correct in saying that, yes, we are equipped with this. It is our sensory apparatus. It is our mind at a certain level. And it also is our, our deepest you know, content of inner dialogue and dynamic. And so many of the you know, psycho-emotional symptoms that we see described or attached to these Chinese medical diagnoses are actually maybe primary and the secondary may be the physical symptoms in many cases, particularly in long-term chronic conditions. Well, I suspect we could spend a whole half day on that kind of a discussion, but uh, I think for today, this is probably a full enough meal for our listeners. Any final thoughts before we wind it down for today? I suppose uh, just to encourage all of us to continue to try and apply the tools of Chinese medicine that we've been given in their, their, their basic sense to unravel these complex issues with a, with a certain modicum of, of patience, mm. you know, and cultivating our relationships with our, with our patients in order to help them understand that it may not be a, a couple of weeks where everything turns around, but that to set some goals along the way uh, in terms of concrete changes that a, a, a person can hope to see. So in the case of, let's say, Hashimoto's where a patient is suffering from really bad insomnia. We might want to set sleep as like a primary goal to work on. Of course, you're trying to chip away at this large mountain of, of issues, but start with something that they can focus on and feel 
where a difference is being made. In the case of something like endometriosis, we might say, well, let's focus on just limiting your menstrual pain for these first couple of months. And if we can see that, that means we're on the right track. So having uh, the long-term endurance to really help people on this path to eventually changing their underlying health states, but also having the kind of ability to provide more immediate and, and tangible short-term goals for people so they, they stay connected to the process. And of course, in, in our field, I've found that providing these shorter-term tangible results, particularly if we can tell a patient this is what we're working on and hope to see, helps them develop a really strong sense of confidence and of course, that generates further yang qi. And now mm -hmm. the two of you are in a cooperative relationship, uh, helping to generate more and more positive energy with each acupuncture treatment and subsequent formula uh, moving forward. So um, I think that, you know, we can help reverse a lot of these conditions. And if it hasn't arisen in your practice already, once it does start arising, it completely changes your perspective on, on what these diagnoses are, meaning that it's not like we think where it's a one-way path to taking thyroid supplements for the rest of your life, that, that it is possible and that we should try and get all of the energies we have available heading in that direction. I love the idea of a long-term vision and a short-term goal. That's how really doable and something that would not be difficult to get a patient on board with, especially if we can meet those goals. Like you say, that builds confidence. They will stick with the process, but more than that, it builds their own yang chi and confidence in themselves. Very much so. Which is, which is where the healing comes from in the first place. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for this time. I've really enjoyed it. I have as well. Thank you so much, Michael. Sometimes it takes years or even decades to understand certain theories and practice of Chinese medicine. I've had much more exposure to the Shang Han Lun and its attendant framework of considering the Liu Jing in the diagnosis and treatment of illness. But today's conversation has given me an updated perspective on the four levels. And I'm curious to see how the conversation with Brian today makes itself felt in my clinical experience as I take this perspective into future clinical encounters. I wouldn't say that our medicine is easy, but I would say that when I have a better understanding of the theories and the frameworks, there is an elegance that emerges that is both clinically helpful and somehow gives me a greater appreciation for the workings of nature. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.